0: morning, church. Let's try this again, for it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit today and back to our regularly scheduled programming in the Gospel of Mark, as today we will be picking up right where we left off almost a month ago by looking this morning at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, or where a great crowd follows Jesus Christ. However, before we get to the text, I'd like to briefly refresh our memories a bit and contextually get us all on the same page. Because previously, in case you forgot, church, Jesus Christ, he had repeatedly found himself caught up in quite a bit of controversy. Controversy, church, between him and a group of people called the Pharisees, a.k.a. the religious leaders Of the day. And these controversies, well, they all started back in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus Christ declared, after healing a man with paralysis, in verse 5 that, Son, your sins are forgiven. Because right after that church, these aforementioned Pharisees, they instantly then began thinking amongst themselves, as verse 7 puts it, For why does this man Jesus speak like that? For he is blaspheming, for who can forgive sins but God alone? And then following this account of Jesus healing the paralytic, Jesus Christ was confronted by the scribes of the Pharisees in verse 16. But this time it was for eating and associating with and calling to himself sinners and tax collectors. Something that these self-righteous, egotistical, and haughty Pharisees would never, ever do. And then as Ricardo preached on a couple weeks back, Jesus Christ was again confronted by a group of people in verse 18, a group of people that very likely included that of the Pharisees because Jesus' disciples were not fasting like the Pharisees or even like John's disciples. However, the confrontations the controversies and the drama, church, well, it all came to a head when Jesus Christ, after being confronted by the Pharisees yet again, this time because his disciples were not keeping their man-made, legalistic laws and traditions concerning the Sabbath, Jesus Christ declared to them in verse 28 that he was the Son of Man and that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, in essence saying that he was the one who ultimately got to determine what was lawful and right and permissible on the Sabbath and not that of the Pharisees, to which the Pharisees then, church, began watching Jesus Christ in order to be able to accuse him. And thus, when they, the Pharisees, saw Jesus Christ unapologetically heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, well, the Pharisees then immediately held counsel with a group of people called the Herodians in order to figure out a way how to destroy Jesus Christ or ultimately how to kill Jesus Christ. Which is right where we left off in the text prior to Christmas, and right where we are going to pick up in the text today. Which leads us to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian ministry can be hard work, and it should be a humble work. Christian ministry can be a hard work, and it should be a humble work. So at this time, let's open our Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark, as this morning we'll be looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, church, looking specifically at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyra and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the midst of the ice and the freezing rain and the rain coming down right now and technology and its many difficulties. Father, we ask that you clear our minds of all the distractions of the world, all the jobs that we have, all the things going on around us, and let us focus on your word this morning. Father, you have called us on this day to go over this particular text. There is something beautiful that you hope to communicate to us, each and everyone listening. And although we cannot gather in person this morning, Father, I pray that this text be edifying, be convicting, and be profound to each and one of the saints listening to it this morning. Father, I pray that you help this morning my lisping and stammering tongue Lord, I pray that I communicate well your word to this dear flock and to anyone else listening this morning. Lord, remove any distractions in my head and and in anyone's head this morning. And at this time, let us focus solely on you. Father, we pray that you glorify yourself in and through this sermon this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian ministering to others can be hard work. Christian ministering to others can be hard work. Verses 7 through 10, which reads, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, repeated conflicts with the Pharisees, and being aware, as Matthew chapter 12 puts it, that the Pharisees now want to destroy him, Jesus Christ then decides, verse 7, to withdraw with his disciples to the sea, or to go out to the Sea of Galilee. However, although Jesus and his disciples decided to withdraw to the sea, that doesn't mean, church, that Jesus is now all alone. In fact, as we also see in verse 7, a great crowd actually followed Jesus Christ out to the sea. Now this idea of a crowd following Jesus Christ certainly is not new to us. For as we have already seen in the Gospel of Mark, pretty much the whole city of Capernaum gathered together and brought their sick and their demon-possessed to Jesus Christ after he healed Simon's mother-in-law back in chapter 1. And then after Jesus Christ healed many of them, the very next morning, church, as verse 37 puts it, everyone then was looking for Jesus Christ so that he could heal even more. Therefore, this idea of Jesus Christ attracting large crowds, it shouldn't really come as a surprise to us. However, what is a bit surprising here is that the crowds who are now coming out to see Jesus Christ not only are Jews' church from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, but they are also Gentiles or non-Jews who are coming out from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyra and Sidon because, verse 8, they had heard all that Jesus was doing, meaning they went out to jesus christ for the healing for the restoring for the cleansing and for the curing for they went out to see jesus christ and his power displayed church and to see him cast out many more demons and thus when john mark here says in verse 7 church that a great crowd followed jesus christ and again in verse 8 that a great crowd heard all that jesus was doing and they came to him He's not talking like 10 people here, church. Nor is he talking like 50 people here, nor is he talking like 100 people here, or 200 people here, or even that of 500 people here. But instead, as numerous scholars have pointed out, Mark here is likely talking about thousands upon thousands of people here, church. For that is the size of the crowd who went out to Jesus Christ at the Sea of Galilee to which Jesus Christ then, well, he tells his disciples in verse 9 to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Which leads to the question, for why on earth does Jesus Christ here Think that this crowd, who obviously came out to see him, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and to perform miracle after miracle, might now all of a sudden potentially crush him. And the answer to that question is, as we see in verse 10, For he, Jesus Christ, had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Meaning, as James Brooks explains, you have a scene here, church, where pushing and shoving and downright commotion is taking place amongst thousands and thousands of people because they, the diseased here, likely believe that if they could just touch Jesus Christ, that they then would ultimately be healed. Now keep in mind here, church, for as Mark chapter 1 verse 38 points out, the Primary focus of Jesus' ministry at this stage is to preach. Or as Luke chapter 4 puts it, it is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And yet thousands upon thousands of people here are going out to Jesus Christ and swarming Jesus Christ and pressing in on Jesus Christ. Not because of the message of Jesus Christ, nor because of the preaching or the teaching of Jesus Christ, but instead only because of the miracles they wanted Jesus Christ to perform. In essence, as Daniel Lakin concludes, the crowds here, they did not care about Jesus Christ, but instead they only cared about what they could get from Jesus Christ, which too often will be the experience of those who work hard for Jesus Christ as well. For the people you serve, Christian, they will impose on you and will oftentimes not even give it a second of thought, for that is the nature of the work. And thus, with that being said, I think it would be wise for us, church, to pause here for a second and to realize that Christian ministry, that laboring for the kingdom of God and that doing the work of the Lord, that it can be hard. And thus, do not get, off, get caught off guard Brother Christian, sister Christian, when you zealously seek to minister and to love, and to serve, and to display the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around you. And certain people only come to you, Christian, for the meals that you can offer them, or for the rent that you could pay for them, or for the resources that you could give them, or for the money that you could potentially shell out for them, and not for the Savior who you so desperately seek to make known to them. And thus, in those moments, church, when you realize that ministering to people isn't all sunshine and roses, and that it can be hard and frustrating and difficult and even that of burdensome, I want you to remember that a servant is never above their master. And thus, if the people who Jesus Christ ministered to desired to take advantage of him instead of listening to his message, then it will most assuredly happen to us. as well. Therefore, be prepared for the hardships, the frustrations, and the trials that come with trying to minister to those around you because they will come. Nevertheless, let us never forget, Christian, that our God is faithful, and thus he will strengthen you, he will preserve you, and he will give you all the grace that you need in order to fulfill whatever ministry he has called you to. Therefore, when trying to come, Christian, we must not lose heart but instead understand that enduring hardship in ministry is simply part of the call. Which brings us to point number two, which is this large crowds, popularity, and publicity are not the goal of Christian ministry. Large crowds, popularity, and publicity are not the goal of Christian ministry. Verses 10 and 11, which reads, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So as we see here in verse 11, not only does this large crowd consist of those who are diseased and disabled and unwell, but also part of the crowd on this day are those who are possessed, verse 11, by unclean spirits. So again, church, let's review here. The religious leaders of the day, they now want to kill Jesus Christ. And thus Jesus Christ, who is aware of this, he then decides to withdraw with his disciples to the sea. However, upon doing so, literally thousands upon thousands of people followed Jesus Christ out to the sea in order to do everything in their power to press in on him, to get to him, and to touch him. So much so that Jesus Christ literally had to tell his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowds lest they crush him. And then to top it all off, church, demon-possessed men here are just falling down right in front of Jesus Christ and are yelling at Jesus Christ and are crying out before Jesus Christ, saying to him that you are the Son of God. I mean, as an introvert, I am getting hives just thinking about all of this. So yeah, the ministry of Jesus Christ, not an easy one. And yet, To make matters even more difficult, those unclean spirits who are crying out to Jesus Christ in verse 11, saying that you are the Son of God. They're not doing so, church, as some confession of faith here. But instead, as Mark Lane writes, they are doing so as some kind of futile attempt to render Jesus harmless. For these cries of recognition were designed to control Jesus Christ and to strip him of his power in accordance with the conception that knowledge of the precise name or quality of a person confers mastery over them. And thus Jesus Christ then, amidst all this chaos and yelling, pushing and shoving and having bodies falling down all around him, he strictly then orders these unclean, wicked, and demonic spirits in verse 12 to not make him known, which seems to be just so counter, church, of everything we see in the world today. And I say that because so many people out there today, church, They desire so badly to be made known and to be publicized and to be promoted that it doesn't matter to them who is promoting them or why they are promoting them or where they are promoting them or how they are promoting them because in their mind they just want to be publicized and promoted and be made known to the world church no matter the source. And I so So, so wish that that type of vain and worldly ambition was something that only manifested itself within our secular world and not in that of evangelical America today. However, as we all know, church, that is most definitely not the case. For as D.L. Moody writes... One of the most humble characters in the Bible was a man by the name of John the Baptist. For when they sent a delegation to him and asked if he was Elijah or this prophet or that prophet, he said to them, no. Now he could have said some very flattering things about himself. Like he could have said, I am the son of the old priest Zechariah, for have you not heard of me and my fame as a preacher? For I have baptized more people than any man living, and the world has never seen a preacher like me. And honestly, I believe, says Moody, that in our present day, most men standing in his position would do just that. Moody goes on to share that on a railroad car some years ago, he heard a man talking very loudly so that all the people on the train could hear him. And he said that he had baptized more people than any man in his denomination, and he shared how many thousands of miles he had traveled, how many sermons he had preached, how many open-air services he had held, until Moody got to the point that he had to hide his face because he was so ashamed of his boasting or of his desire to make himself known. For Kent Hughes wrote Church concerning our text this morning, we must not allow crowds or popularity to seduce our ministries. And thus I just want to make one thing perfectly clear to you all this morning. For we do not do ministry here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church in order to have the largest congregation possible. Nor do we do ministry here, church, in order to grow our name or our brand or our influence above and beyond all the other churches in your county. Nor do we do ministry here in order to have the most followers on social media. Nor do we do ministry to be seen by the world as the coolest or the hippest or as the trendiest church around. For that is not the goal, the aim, or the reason as to why we do ministry here at Facebook Bible Fellowship Church, but instead we, as the body of Jesus Christ, we minister to others, we preach the gospel to the world, and we endure for the sake of the elect to be faithful to the will of God, to walk in the ways of God, and to bring glory to our most holy God, and not church for the publicity of this world, nor for the crowds of man." And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to start by addressing the non-Christian who is here first, who I realize might be sitting there this morning thinking, for why on earth would anyone just be willing To do the will of god and to walk in the ways of god and to bring glory alone to god in the here and now and simply then reject the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life when in fact this world has so much to offer and in all honesty non-christian it is a fair question to ask if You do not know exactly who Jesus Christ is or exactly what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross at Calvary. And what I mean by that, non-Christian, is that God the Father, you see, he loved this world so much that he sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to live and to dwell amongst us and to ultimately save us, non-Christian, from our very sin. And he, Jesus Christ, did that, non-Christian, by initially living for, living for us the life that we as sinners could never, ever live. Meaning that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin, just like you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he never sinned, but instead lived a perfect and faithful and flawless life here on earth, whereby he was able to fulfill the law of God, non-Christian, for the children of God. However, not only did Jesus Christ come into this world to keep the law of God for the children of God, but he also came into this world to pay the price for their redemption, in that he, Jesus Christ, willingly gave up his life, non-Christian, as the propitiation for their sin, or as the wrath-removing sacrifice for their sin, by dying a sinner's death on that cross at Calvary, so that through his wounds, non-Christian, the children of God could eternally be healed. And we know this to be true because three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, Jesus Christ, he was raised for our justification in that he rose from the dead and defeated sin and destroyed death once and for all and now offers eternal life, non-Christian, to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For God himself said, non-Christian, that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be saved. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from the world, that you turn from your pride, and turn from that idol that you are building of yourself and repent and place your trust in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day you are forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal life and to the Christian who is here today. Brother Christian, sister Christian, as I shared earlier today in our thesis, Christian ministry, quite frankly, it can be a hard work, and it should be a humble work. And thus, I realize that you might be Sitting there this morning, Christian, thinking quietly to yourself, well then, why do it? I mean, why invest so much time in the ministries of the church and why proclaim so loud the good news of Jesus Christ and why try to be faithful in doing the will of the Lord and walking in the ways of the Lord and bringing glory to the Lord. When push comes to shove, it is going to be hard and my friends might reject me and people might exploit me and the unsaved might not even listen to me and even if they do, I'm not even supposed to get the fanfare, the glory, or the praise. And thus why in the here and now Should I, as a Christian, press on in gospel ministry and persevere in the work of the Lord and to continue to endure for the sake of the elect, all while not receiving the pride of life that so many of my non-Christian friends who I'm trying to minister to are receiving quite abundantly in the here and now? And to answer that question, Christian, I want to consider for a second the opening chapters in the book of Genesis. Whereas we see in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, who was the son of Adam and Eve, that after he killed his brother Abel, it says that he had a son named Enoch, and that he named the city that he built after his son. Whereas Seth, who was another son of Adam and Eve, he had, as part of his family line, a man by the name of Enoch as well. However, this Enoch church, as it says in Genesis chapter 5, he walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. To which, as one commentator writes, this Enoch Seth's Enoch, he understood that it was more important for him to walk with the Lord than to establish a legacy of his own in this world with a city named after him. And thus, the Lord rewarded Enoch by relocating him to heaven. In essence, church, if you walk faithfully with the Lord and follow the will of the Lord and press on for the sake of the Lord and reject establishing your name instead of the name of the Lord, then you too, Christian, like Enoch, will eventually dwell eternally with the Lord. Therefore, do not get caught up, Christian, in seeking the comforts and the luxuries and the leisures of this world above and beyond Jesus Christ or in trying to gain a big crowd or a big following, or to be promoted and loved and publicized by this depraved world around you. But instead, in all that you do, Christian, be willing to die to self to do the work of the Lord and to glorify his name and not that of your own. And I say that because this world, Christian, and all of its comforts and luxuries and conveniences and shrines, they will all pass away, whereas the one who does the will of the Lord, church. He will not pass away, but instead he will abide with the Lord forever and ever and ever, which is infinitely better, church, I promise you, than getting some vanity or some likes on your social media accounts. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in order to endure the trials that we may face as we minister to the world around us, and that by that same grace we also remain humble and meek and gentle and do not become prideful about our name or about any of our gifts, but instead let us remain faithful to the task, Lord, of enduring for the sake of the elect of throwing gospel seed in every direction and striving to grow in the unity of the faith as you, Father, work in and through us. And thus, if the people that we have been called to minister to do try to take advantage of us, Lord, let us not harden our hearts toward them. Or if the people we have been called to minister to begins to grow, let us also not become prideful about that either. But instead, in all that we do, Lord, let your will be done and not that of our own. Forgive us a heart, Father, where we absolutely do desire to see ourselves decrease so that through our good works your name, your fame and your glory, Father, may continue to increase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how timely this message is. Father, I pray that we as a church body continue to humble ourselves, to be gentle with each other, meek with each other, and with those we come into contact with in this outside world. Yes, Father, people will come to us. They will try to manipulate us, take advantage of us. Lord, we need to take proper precautions in protecting ourselves But we have been called to endure, to throw gospel seed everywhere in this world and endure for the sake of the elect. Let us do so faithfully. And Father, if it is your will to grow this ministry here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church numerically, Father, let us not boast in our own skills, our own giftings, our own wisdom, but solely boast in you. Father, we seek to be faithful to you as we minister to each other and minister to this world. Father, you be glorified by everything this church does. That is our prayer we pray. Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our benediction this morning, church, should sound familiar. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5, where Paul writes to a young Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I love you all, church. I miss you. Go in peace.